0: Well, good morning again, and I want to just say welcome now also to those of you who are joining us from the traditional service. I'm just so glad that we have the opportunity together as a church family to read God's Word and learn from it together. As we're getting settled here, you'll notice that in both of our worship venues in just a moment, ushers will be in the side aisles. And if you don't have your own Bible with you this morning or don't have a Bible you can access on your phone or your tablet, I'd love for you to be able to use one of those uh, and follow along with the passage that we're going to read today. It just so happens that this passage that we're reading today is one that It has been particularly powerful in my own life recently, maybe even in the last few weeks as I've especially been getting ready to share this with you today. It's been a source of kind of refilling for me and refreshment for me. And I'd love for all of us to be able to read from that together if you'd like. Also, just a reminder that as you're getting settled there, if you want to take the study guide out of your worship bulletin, there's just a great place in the front where you can make some notes and learn from this story that we read in worship in both of our worship services today. Maybe some things that God places on your heart that you want to apply to your life as you go forward. Today's story, the way that it has spoken to me, is that it has been a source of of refreshment and especially of refilling for me. It's been a source of new strength and new fullness in my life, even in the last few weeks. And I just can't help but think that I'm not the only one who sometimes feels like, man, I'm I'm just kind of running a little on E right now, that I'm just running a little bit low. I, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the times that I have been the most empty in my life. And I think the most empty feeling that I've ever had, when I've been the most emptied out, happened on a long bike trip. It was kind of a physical emptiness. It was a long bike trip that I took with my dad when I was, it was a summer when I was in college. And he and I had kind of had this dream for a little while and planned that we were going to ride across the state of Ohio, which is a smaller state than Minnesota, but it still is a substantial ride. It was 240 miles, about 140 miles on the first day, and we were going to go about 100 miles the second day. We kind of planned and prepared for that. We were pretty excited about it. And the day came for us to leave on our trip. And we got up in the morning and I have not seen a rainstorm like that like, in my whole life. It was just pouring down rain. Our neighbors, they had built an ark. The animals were two by two going into the ark. A, a, a smart person would have rescheduled that trip. I am not a smart person. All right? so, and, and I have to admit, my, my mom and dad are coming to visit us actually tomorrow, so I can, I'm safe to say it's still today. The apple does not fall far from the tree. My dad was not interested in rescheduling that trip. We rolled out the driveway. I'm not kidding. By the time we finished it, it's a short driveway, city lot. Like, not a thing on us was dry by the time we got on the street for the first time. We started riding out State Highway 10 in Ohio and heading to the southwest toward uh, Cincinnati, which is going to be our destination. And, man, that rain, it just kept on falling. It took a lot out of us to ride through that. It was hard. And we got to kind of, it was supposed to be 140 miles that first day. And it kind of got harder and harder the whole way, like the, the effort level that was required. And we got to about mile 90, and although the rain had finally stopped or we had ridden out of the storm, one or the other, I don't know, but we kind of got to a crisis point. And it became obvious to my dad that he was not going to make the last 50 miles of this journey. And I was not willing to admit it, but it was becoming obvious to me that I was not going to make the last 50 miles of this journey. But we kind of got, got to that point, and he said, you know, I, I know I'm know i holding you back, and why don't you try to just ride at the pace that you want to ride at, and you just go the rest of the way and go find the people that we're supposed to meet in Marysville, Ohio, and you come back and get me, Right? This is in the days before cell phones or before people like me had cell phones anyway. I don't know. And, and we just, so we're like, I'm going to find you on the side of the road somewhere between these two towns on the highway, right? And so I rode on to Marysville, and uh, it is the longest stretch of road on God's green earth. I'm not kidding you. It was terrible. I, I totally bonked. Like for those of you who do any kind of endurance sports or whatever, I completely ran out of gas. I was dead empty. I, every turn of the pedals, I was climbing a mountain. The road was dead flat. It was dead flat. But I, I'm telling you, it was uphill the whole way. And it was into the wind. I was struggling. I believe I was having an out-of-body experience in my suffering on that road. I was, I was just empty. I, 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 I kind of thought about telling you I was running on fumes, but I had run out of fumes. I was empty. Fortunately, I was on wheels, and I kind of kept rolling, and I didn't fall off the wheels. And I got into Marysville, Ohio, and I went to find the people that we were going to meet there, and they were there, thanks be to God. And they had the good sense to put a little bit of food in me and kind of perked back up a little bit. And we drove back up the highway and we got my dad. Fortunately, we found him in a, in a roadside park kind of next to the highway. And, and he had made it past, yeah, he was still living and in the park there. And he had made it past the 100 mile mark uh, of the journey. So that was his first century ride. And, Honestly, one of my favorite memories of that whole trip, it might actually be the only good memory of the whole trip, is is that he had made his first century, and it was actually my first time over 100 miles too, and that was just a a great experience. We picked him up in there, and we drove back down to Marysville, whatever that was, another 30, 40 miles down the road. And My dad and I stayed in the hotel there that night, and I don't know how long it was after we closed the door before we started talking about this, but I promise you, nobody, neither one of us, had to talk the other one into quitting. (laughs) We were not going to Cincinnati the next day. We were just flat empty, you know. Have you been there ever like just like stripped down, you don't have the strength to go on somehow? That's, that's where we were. And I, I had, it was just a few years ago actually, I had an experience in my personal life that was a very high level of challenge at that time. It was, it was emotional even for me, it was spiritual, it was deeply painful. And it was right about that time that as a part of our church family we, we were planning to celebrate some baptisms in White Bear Lake. And it was the first time that we had done that, at least during my time here. And we went out to do that. And while we, were, while we were baptizing new members of our church in White Bear Lake, God was just at work in people's lives. You know, he was just, there was God creating new life and calling people to new lives in Christ. And he was creating new community and knitting us together as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And on that day in particular, the, the physical symbol of water in the sacrament of baptism was operating, in my life anyway, even more powerfully. It was communicating to me even more powerfully than it always does. Because it was a hot day that day. I mean, it was, it was the middle of August. It was cooking hot. And there we were in the water, and just the, the work of God to refresh our spirits was being communicated to me in an even more elevated way than usual by the, the physical feeling of refreshment. As there we were, I was baptizing people and people reaffirming their commitment to Christ, their baptisms in Christ. And as I drove away that day... I just had been so surprised by the, by the gracious act of God in my own life that day. I didn't realize how empty I was. And sometimes that's how it is when we're getting low. We don't even know how empty we are until something happens, good or bad. And, and on that day, I just had this great new filling and strengthening that I experienced. I just wonder where you're at in life as we turn to the scriptures today. Whether there's some emptiness in your life. I, I know that sometimes it can come from something as simple as just the job that you work in. And if it's a job that you have to work but you don't want to work, it it might be one of those things that just kind of strips you down day by day, just sucking the life out of you. And you're a lot more dry and a lot more empty than you wish you were for the things that you love in life. It, it could be it's a parenting struggle. Occasionally, I hear, that gets to be a little bit challenging. You can kind of sap your strength. And the, the reason for that is that children can be one of the great joys of life, but you love them so much that they take everything you've got. And it could be that maybe you're feeling a little bit empty. In a phase right now. Or maybe it's just like a relationship of some kind in your life. Sometimes those get into hard places in a whole variety of ways. And maybe it's got you broken down. Kind of dry and empty to the point where you're parched and cracked. Maybe that's where you are today. Or I was thinking about this, it, it, might, be, it might be a spiritual emptiness that has nothing to do with the circumstances of your life, whether they're kind of low or kind of high. Maybe you feel like you're dry and empty in the most central place in your whole life. And that's not something that you can fill back up on your own. And you're at a place where you need new strength and refilling by the grace of God. Well, this, this Bible passage that we read today in, in both of our services is about a situation that's, I think, very much like that. It's a situation where people are desperate, where there's high potential for failure and shame and brokenness. And then all of a sudden, at the emptiest moment, a new fullness comes from Jesus in a way that nobody would have expected. And I'd love to just read this story with you a little bit. If you have a Bible with you, uh, would you turn with me to John chapter 2? We'll just start in verse 1, read a couple verses there. If you have the Quest Bibles from our worship space here, that's on page 1555. The Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. It's about 80% of the way through the Bible. And uh, this story, it takes place at a wedding. This is how it starts in John chapter 2, verse 1. It says that on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana, in Galilee, which is, this is basically the region where Jesus grew up, kind of his hometown area. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. All right. Now, I don't know if that sounds like a desperate situation to you or not, but let me paint the picture for you a little bit. Wedding celebrations in Jesus' day in this culture were huge events, huge events. I mean, they're, they're big-time events for us in our culture, too, but they were bigger for them. They went on for days, and they invited not just, like, friends and family and the people from work that you felt like you had to invite but you hoped they didn't come. It wasn't just those people. They invited everybody in the whole village, and maybe even people from some of the neighboring villages. It was a major event in the public life of this community, in the public life of this family. And for the the family that was hosting this gathering, and it was probably the groom's family, and we can see that even a little bit later in the story, which is kind of a little different. The custom has changed a lot to our culture, hasn't it? But probably the groom's family was hosting this. And for the family to run out of wine in the middle of this major public celebration and their family life and the life of this community would have been a massive source of humiliation for them. would have brought some pretty significant shame to them. It probably would have affected the way that they felt and related to their neighbors for years and years to come. Probably the, the, the bride and the groom would have experienced this as some sort of like bad start or bad omen for their wedding. This was a, this was a situation where the potential for embarrassment, shame, failure, and pain was really high. And, and the story doesn't tell us who it is that told whom that they were out of wine at first. I mean, maybe it was just obvious to everybody. I could imagine that was the case. But in one way or another, Jesus' mother finds out. And, Jesus, and, and, and Mary reaches out to Jesus for help with this. Let me just stop for a second and and acknowledge something. That can be hard, can it? Do you ever feel like it's hard to reach out for help? I think that's pretty common to human beings. We wait for the pain level that we're experiencing in life to get really high before we feel like the pain level of help would be not that high, before we think that it would be less painful to reach out for help to somebody. We just, for some reason, we feel like we're just going to let it go until we're sputtering, until we're running on fumes, until we're broke down on the side of the road completely done before we're ready to reach out for help. And sometimes sometimes it's almost too late in the crisis at that point. I think one of the things that Christians need to learn, one of the lessons that Christians need to learn is not only that it's important to reach out and help others when they're running on E and when they're breaking down, but it's really important for Christians to learn to reach out for help, maybe even before we completely break down. And maybe one of the take-home messages from this passage for us who are gathered here today, for some of you who are gathered here today, is that maybe it's time to do a little truth-telling with yourself. And maybe with someone who's close to you. Maybe just to reach out for help to to a trusted friend, to someone who's prayed for you in the past, to someone who's in your community group, to someone who worships with you, someone who you can trust, that you would reach out for help. Because you're starting to run pretty low. And maybe that person would even be the same kind of person as Mary who would pray for you and help take your emptiness to Jesus when you didn't even know or have the intuition that you should. That may be one of the main take-homes of this passage for some of us here today. Mary reached out to Jesus for help. But then she reached out to him for help, and then both Mary and Jesus swung into action. Let me just show you what comes next. If you still have your Bible, on the same page, John 2. It's 1555 in the Quest Bible. Verse 5, his mother, Mary, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Apparently she'd had some experience with Jesus before and she had a lot of trust that he was going to be able to help here. Do whatever he tells you to do. Well, that's exactly what the servants did. The servants at this party, Jesus got them to go and get six stone water jars that each held about 20 or 30 gallons of water. The water alone in these jars would have weighed 160, 240 pounds, somewhere in that range. It's like a ton of water. And stone jars of that size, they bring these jars out and Jesus fills filled these jars up with water, right? Which, let's be honest, strange thing to do when you're looking for wine, right? Party guests were not interested in ice water. They were looking for wine. But nevertheless, the servants do it. Sometimes it seems like we're more willing to try Jesus' way when we've already tried our way and it's run out. That's where they found themselves. They bring these jars to Jesus. Jesus fills them up with water. Then he says, take a ladle full of that water and take it to the master of the banquet. Which I have to imagine was scary for them, you know? Like if they're already worried about being embarrassed or shamed because they didn't provide enough wine, now they're going to take it to the master of the banquet and go, well, try this. <laughs> they did it Jesus' way. They did it Jesus' way. And they took the ladle full of water to the master of the banquet. And he says, that's the best wine I ever had, Right? And then he praises the groom at the wedding, the groom's family. The normal way, he says, people serve the best wine first. And then when people get to the point where they can't tell the difference anymore, then people serve the watered-down stuff. But you have done the opposite. You have saved the best for last. Isn't it like that sometimes in our relationship with God? God does not promise us a life that never will get down to E. He doesn't promise us a life where we never have to walk through empty. But he promises us that new wine is coming. He promises us that he will fill us up as we do whatever he says. Now, I, I didn't warn Pastor Corey about this before, but i got to out you for a second. Pastor Corey here, he taught us this, uh, he, he taught this lesson to me in some words that a mentor taught him once. He said, you know what? Everybody wants to live in the springtime. Everybody wants to live in spring. But sometimes you got to live through winter before you get to spring. And sometimes winter can be really long. Now, now, Corey had to be taught that because he lived in Virginia, so he didn't understand. <laughs> Today, the education level is rising around here. Those of us who live in Minnesota, you would think we would have known this, but spiritually, we don't always get this. We just don't always understand that Jesus is saving the best for last in our lives. And that in the long run, we will experience this as we walk out our obedience to his way as we do whatever he tells us to do. And sometimes what Jesus tells us to do isn't what we feel like doing. It's not even what feels intuitive to us. It's not necessarily what, what we reason ourselves out to. But Jesus says, bring it to me, fill it with water, do what I said, and I will make new wine and new fullness in your lives. And that's a promise that Jesus would fill us up. Now, this story operates on one level in kind of the events and the things that I've just been explaining. But stories in the Gospel of John very often also operate at a symbolic level. And there are things in here that we can learn from some of the symbols that are written in this story. And I think that in this case, those are some of the things that speak to us at the deepest needs of our hearts. And I just want to share two of them with you kind of quickly. One of them has to do with these stone water jars. They kind of stand out as a detail in the story. And these weren't your regular old 20-gallon stone water jars, if there even is such a thing. These were stone water jars that were used in, in Jewish purification rites for a ceremonial washing, as we heard in the, in the Bible reading that we had today. They were a part of the people's relationship with God. And they were empty. And Jesus refilled them all the way up to the brim that they would splash out if you bumped them. And then he changed that fullness to new wine in a way that nobody expected. Do you ever find that the form and the religious activities of your relationship with God are occasionally dry? Do you ever find that? Sometimes there comes a point in life, in, in my life and in your life, I imagine, I, to be honest, there probably comes a lot of points in our lives where we're, we're going through the right motions in our relationship with God, but we, we lost the fullness a while ago. We, we lost touch with the love and the grace and the power some time back, and we, we don't probably know exactly when. and It doesn't really matter because we're empty now. And this story encourages us to believe that Jesus cares about that. But he doesn't care about it in such a way that he wants to kick us while we're down. What are these stupid jars for? Break the jars. Say they're the wrong jars. The point is that Jesus would invite to us the, the empty jars that we have, invite us to bring them to him and be filled again. And this all happens, John tells us, at a wedding banquet, which, which at one level just helps us understand that the social dynamic of the people who are involved, that there was this really high potential for shame and pain, for vulnerability and brokenness. And the story shows us a compassionate Jesus who cares about that. That he, that he reaches in there and relieves the present pain and potential for disaster in their lives. And I, I just want to communicate to you who are in a situation right now in your lives, if you are feeling very vulnerable right now, if you feel like you're exposed, you feel like the, the potential for disaster is maybe already happening or very near in your life, I just want to reassure you on the basis of this story that you are not unseen by the grace of God. That God cares about you. This is the sort of situation that Jesus cares about. But wedding banquets were not, was, wedding banquets also carried a symbolic value in this culture. Jesus or other, other first century Jewish teachers would use a wedding banquet as a common image for God's final, eternal salvation. And I think it's a beautiful image. It conveys a lot of things that are important for us to understand about that. Being reunited with the people of God, having this, this fellowship community experience in the presence of God in a time of joy that goes on and on. And John tells us here in the story that this was the first sign that Jesus performed and by which he revealed his glory. So it's not just that Jesus was trying to provide new wine for a wedding. I mean, that's, that's good enough already. It's, it's not just that Jesus was, was doing a miracle, and he was, or not just that Jesus was kind of showing off his power, but this is a sign. And you know what signs do, right? Signs point away from themselves to the real reality, right? The sign that's right out there behind that wall, a couple hundred feet away, that says Highway 61 is not Highway 61. Don't drive on it. It's just a sign. It points to the road, right? The sign over that's down Highway 61 a little bit that says White Bear Lake or Gem Lake, that's not the city. Don't live there. It's just the sign, right? John says this was the first sign that Jesus performed by which he revealed his glory. It's pointing away from the wedding on towards something else. It is is a symbolic promise of the rescue that Jesus wants to work in our lives, not only from the situations where we run out of wine or whatever other strength or resource it is that we're dried up out of, but this is a sign of God's eternal rescue, of his victory over something far greater than these things. Did you notice even at the start of this passage, did you wonder, why did John tell us for no apparent reason that this happened on the third day? It's not the third day from anything in particular. The passage right before us doesn't tell it was three days before. But just like so many stories in the Gospel of John that have funny little time signatures for no apparent reason, I think we're reminded here of the victory of God in Jesus Christ, not only over the insufficiency of our physical resources, but the victory over death and the power of sin itself, like the resurrection of Jesus. And so here is a sign. This feast is a foretaste of the feast to come. It is a promise and an image of the time when God will rescue us and provide for us joy and reun- reunification with the people of God who have gone before us and those who will come after us and that we would live in the presence of God himself and that there would be no more shame and that there would be no more pain and there would be no more sin and brokenness and dryness and emptiness but fullness in the Spirit of God forever. And thanks be to God for that. That's his promise in our lives. And so I Just ask again, for you to think about whether there are situations of emptiness in your life. Whether there's some place that today, in this place, you want to bring before God and need to be refilled by His Spirit. Whether perhaps you're living in some way with very little hope for the future, with very little vision of what could possibly be because your resources have run out. And, And if that's the case, you're maybe running so close to E that it's hard to believe that hope has not been lost. But this story tells us that. This story says, is the promise of God in Jesus Christ that all is not lost. That you are not lost to God. That hope is not lost. Now I understand, if it's hard to see that right now, I know what you mean. And I want to tell you that the servants in this story, they they know what you mean. And, And the hosts of this wedding banquet who were staring down the inevitable barrel of years of shame and humiliation. They know what you mean too. And I would just invite you on this day to do what they did. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to him. Here in this place, in this worship service, in prayer, in music that will follow, in this moment, bring it to Jesus. and He will fill you back up again. And this happens in our lives, in the long run, in the same way that this passage said that it would, that Mary told the servants, just, just do whatever he tells you. We experience the fullness of Christ over the course of a lifetime, as we walk out his way and follow his teaching in our lives. And I just want to acknowledge that this can be hard sometimes. This is not an easy thing. This is not a quick fix. This is not instant gratification. I mean, depending on the circumstances of your life, whether you made them that way yourself or they were made for you, it just might be that the water jars in the storeroom of your heart might be way in the back. There might be some significant carrying to do. It might not be easy to bring it to Jesus and to do whatever he tells you to do. That might be hard. But Jesus invites us to bring him our emptiness, and he promises, you just put your trust in me. I will fill it up again. And and let me just acknowledge one more thing and speak maybe a word of truth here. Because it might be that this line that Mary spoke so powerfully early in the story, do whatever he tells you, that might be the breaking point for some of us. That might be the barrier that's holding us up. Because what Jesus tells you to do might just not feel like what you want to do right now. And that might be the kind of the point at which you're having a struggle in your life. I understand that. And so this passage might be kind of a challenge to obedience in certain circumstances that you're living in. Because the the passage doesn't say that fullness will come to you no matter what you do. We don't have that promise from God. And, And it does not say that fullness will come to you if you just wait long enough and walk it out. We don't have that promise from God. Instead, this passage invites us to come to Jesus To put our faith in him and no matter where you come from, no matter where you have been, no matter what the circumstances are, he will not let you down. There will be grace and love and new hope for you now and forever. And Finally, I just want to ask you to imagine one more thing. I'd like you to imagine what this passage might mean not only for you in whatever emptiness you may or may not be experiencing. But I'd like you to imagine what this passage might mean for other people in your life and what it might mean for the church community that God is creating here or for the broader church on earth. Because it it might be that the main application point of this passage in your life today isn't only to address you in the brokenness of your own heart or in the emptiness that you experience. But depending on where you are today, maybe the application point of this passage that the Spirit of God is driving in your life is to follow the example of Jesus in this passage that it's a a discipleship application for us, that maybe Jesus invites us in this passage to keep our eyes out, to see the potential for pain and brokenness or the experience of pain and shame and emptiness in somebody else's life, and then to come alongside them and to reveal and, and, and to relieve what they're experiencing. So maybe what's happening right now is that God's Spirit is putting on your mind or on your heart the name or the image of somebody that God would like you to come alongside of. And you can help relieve some of the trouble that they're experiencing. Maybe you, can even, maybe you can even do what Mary did and bring that problem to Jesus on their behalf if it's hard for them to pray right now. But you can help walk with them and bear that with them. Because that is the kind of community that God is creating among the followers of Jesus Christ on this earth. And it is a beautiful thing. And I praise God for it. Let's pray together. Good and gracious God, you know where we are and you know how we can be empty and you know that we are not powerful enough to fill ourselves up, that empty does not fill up empty. But you are full and you can fill up empty. And So we just, we're just honest before you hear God. And I pray right now that here in this place that the outpouring of your spirit would be powerful and that you would put strength into our hearts where, where we don't have it and that you would put freshness and fullness into our lives where we can't manufacture it. I pray for your mercy and your filling right now for us. And God, I also pray that you would work in us, that this would not become a selfish thing for us, but that you would fill us up to overflowing, that the blessing that we can be to others is, again, not something that we would manufacture, but that it would be your work in us. But God, make us sensitive. God, open the eyes of our hearts, make us attuned to the needs around us, and then make us faithful to your way to minister with mercy and love in the way of Christ.